Before we get started with today's episode, I just have to say as a disclaimer that none of what I say in this podcast is actual advice. If you really feel like you have a mental health disorder or are dealing with anything personally, please seek out professional help. And again, none of what I say in this podcast is actual advice. So thank you guys, and let's get started with today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Sum of Life podcast, season three, episode one. I'm your host, Liam Scully. In today's episode, I had on the guest Susie Jamil. Susie is from Australia, and this whole conversation was just a great one to have. I really enjoyed this conversation and her willingness to come on the show. It's so hard to get guests, and I don't know how many people realize that. So when I got Susie to agree to come on the show, it was really motivating for me. And I just look at Susie as such an inspiration because she is the owner and director of Think Inc., which is basically a company focused around bringing intellectuals onto a stage or presenting it through the internet or both. But those intellectuals that she brings on are like well-known names, such as like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Sean Carroll, the list just goes on. And it's amazing that she can gather all these people together and bring them all, or most of them, I believe, to Australia, where she lives. And just that she can achieve all these conversations for thousands of people to listen to and learn and grow. And what she's doing is just great. We talked a lot about that. We talked about grades talked about getting through your own struggles. But yeah, this conversation was great. I'm happy that's the season opener of this podcast. And if you want to learn more about Susie, uh, I didn't actually ask this at the end, so I'm going to include it now, and I'm sure she would be fine with it, is that you just go to susiejamil.com, and there you can find all the work that she's doing, as well as other podcasts that she's been on. And if you want to contact her there, her contact page is on that website as well. But again, this was awesome to have Susie on, and I hope you guys enjoy the conversation as well. I'll see you guys next time. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, just to start, like, why did you start Think Incorporated and, you know, what were your basic goals that you set out to achieve? Absolutely. So um, I started Think Inc. when I was 22. The goals were, I guess, mixed at that point. The main objective was to remind people that being intelligent is cool. You know, um, I'm the biggest nerd I know, right? (laughs) Like I was always (laughs) obsessed with, um, you know, reading, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube, and these big minds were the people that were always influencing me. Um, The other huge influence in my life is hip hop. I don't know if you know (laughs) that, but I love love street culture and, and, and hip hop. And so when we created the brand, we wanted to do something that was targeting young people. So 16 to 35 year olds, and I still fit in that demographic. And we wanted to put on an an event that reminded people like being smart is cool. And so the first event we ran was back in 2014 with Dr. Michio Kaku. And we were like, are we going to be able to get people to come along to see a scientist on stage? We sold out three cities. And that was, that was wild. Like, especially for like, we were, we're dead broke at the time. We didn't have money. We, we, we borrowed money off a friend <laughs> and put it in with the hopes it was going to work and, and it worked. And it was the only way that it was able to, to launch. You know, I was like in my first year of law school, like it, it was nuts. But yeah, I, I started it because I thought I had the skills expertise to do it. Um, at that point, I did, I did it with a business partner together. We thought we had the right skills. We did it. It worked. And now I'm really happy running the business on my own with my, with my team and my staff. And um, it's a beautiful thing. And I think 
the objective has changed a little bit. I think that maybe three or four years in, you know, we realized that, hey, it worked. So people are actually thinking that being smart is cool now. Being a nerd is kind of, kind of cool. Um, and so now my objective has kind of shifted a little bit more and it's more focused on raising rational discourse in our society uh, and focusing on allowing people to have sometimes really hard conversations with maybe someone that they might disagree with and kind of hearing alternative perspectives. And I guess that's that's the the blessing of having a company that's independent it means we can do things like that and kind of challenge the status quo. But that's a little bit more about what we're into at the moment. Oh, and that's awesome. I mean, and I always found it interesting too that like, Jordan B. Peterson will do an interview with Sam Harris or like a conversation yeah. and they'll get sold out for like three nights in a row, like the same thing. <laughs> so it definitely shows the attraction that people are willing to listen to these conversations, um, especially these long form podcasts too. That's right. Exactly. And I think that there's even a difference, you know, absolutely we're obsessed with podcasts at the moment. I think podcasting is, is a brilliant form of media, but what's interesting is when people come out to the shows, they're really paying to see, someone that they really idolize up on stage. And I think that's a really special thing. And it creates this sense of awe and inspiration that you don't really get when you're, you're not able to have that interaction. And being in a room, especially, I mean, 2020 was hard for us, right? Because we couldn't be yeah. in the same room with other people. But, you know, back in the day when we were able to do that, being around like-minded people and being in that, in that same space, I think was really special. And that garnered that inspiration and people would go off and do great things off the back of that. So... Yeah, it's it's a really powerful thing, and I'm incredibly proud that we're we're working in this space, and it's it's really fulfilling, I guess, as well. Yeah, that's that's great. And I know you said actually in that bit that you were in the first year of law school when starting this yeah. uh, company. Did you actually end up finishing law school? Because I know how difficult yeah. businesses can be, like running everything. <laughs> yeah. So. And my first degree, actually, when I finished school was in communications. I studied PR and I went and worked in PR for a year and I hate, I hated it. Um, and so I quit and I thought, what am I going to do? And I was in a little bit of a crisis at that point. And I was like, where, where am I going to find this thing called happiness? You know, I was kind of looking and seeing <laughs> this like magical thing that people talked about that was happiness. I'm like, where does that come from? All I know is I go to work every day and I come home and I cry because I hate my job so much. And so I was like, I have to, I have to get out of here. I have to quit. And I went and spent my, my 21st birthday in Vegas. I was like, I'm just going to go and wild out a little bit, have a bit of fun. And then um, I came back and I, I was like, I've got to quit this job. But what am I going to do with my life? And my parents are traditional, you know, they're like, you know, go to school, get good grades, go to uni, get good grades, get a job, work, find a husband, get married, have babies. My life didn't work like that, right? <laughs> So I was like, okay, I know I'm already starting to challenge the status quo here. What am I going to do? So I decided to quit my job and start law school because I knew I wanted to do something that made impact. I knew that I found happiness and garnered happiness. Actually, I was showing my, my nerdiness. I was on like a leadership retreat and I was talking with my, my, um, my peers at the retreat saying, what am I going to do? And that's really where I discovered on this leadership retreat. That's where I discovered that I garnered my happiness from making an impact and making, adding value to other people's lives. And so I decided to go to law school because I thought maybe I could work with juvenile detention. It was never about the money element. It was always like, I think I can make impact and I think I have the capacity to. And, um, and then in my first year of law school, you know, I started, we, like, we started thinking it was great. And I was like, wow, okay, I'm making impact. And I'm doing something I enjoy. And yes, I finished law school. So I didn't, I, awesome. I finished it. I was a JD. Uh, I completed it. And when I finished law school, Think Inc. was doing well enough to support me working for the business full time. Uh, so I, I never uh, worked in law. And I don't think that 
in hindsight, would I ever? Um, but my knowledge in law is is so vital to me for business. Um, and so I, I, I really love that I've, I've done that and I think it's really worthwhile. But, and you know, of course, all the other lessons you get from doing a uni degree, like oh, human course. interactions and friends and stuff, which I love. Yeah, I, actually my older brother is in law school right now and he's right. in, finishing his first year. Maybe we could just stay on this topic for a while because he's, he's like, I mean, his mental state has always been great for his whole life. He's 25 years old. Uh, yes. He has no conditions of anxiety or anything, uh, but I can see that, and he talks about it too, how stressful just law school is. He says it's like 80 hours of work every week, and <laughs> yeah. he has no time to go out with his friends anymore. Of course, just the the burden of the cost of the actual school is really tough on him to know that that's like a debt that he has to pay back. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. was I it mean, the I same for you or... Uh, firstly, I don't envy you guys in the States having to deal with that burden. We're really lucky in Australia. We have this thing called hex debt, essentially, which 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 is a debt that, yes, we have to pay back. My my debt back was like over 100K. And I think yeah. I still have like 90K left to pay. But, but <laughs> It's like my brother um, too, actually. You know, uh, it doesn't uh, garner interest. It's just, it just inflates with <clears throat> basic inflation, like societal inflation. So it doesn't um, garner interest. So we're really lucky about that. Um, and so it's the, kind of the best debt to have, but it's, it's really expensive. Um, so I think it was worth it. I, I would say yes. Um, I understand your brother must, wait, you said he's 25. So how old are you then? I'm 23. Yeah. Damn, boy, you're so young. Um, I know. Yeah. <laughs> good on you. Like all your all the great work that you're doing at 23. I'm, I'm impressed. Oh, um, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it is incredibly time consuming. And I really, it was a huge sacrifice to run the business and study law school. And I also sacrificed my grades to an extent. I mean, I was still kind of getting C's and D's, but I wasn't getting that HD standard. And some of my friends were. And, you know, to, to work and do I, it, it's really, really difficult. And my friends that were getting HDs and were doing really well at it, they did not have a job on the side. It was unbearable yeah. for them to have to like put that work in as well as 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 working a job. So um, it was not a position that I put myself in because I kind of thought I'm here because I want to gain the knowledge. I'm not here because I see this as my forever career. I'm mm -hmm. here because I want to do well, yes. But I also have to recognize that maybe there's other things like becoming an entrepreneur that I want to focus on. Um, but it's incredibly stressful. It's, and even, it doesn't, I don't even think it ends once you finish law school for a lawyer because getting into it, the first couple of years of being a lawyer, excuse my French, is like you're a shit kicker for the first few years, yep. right? You're not really out there making impact and doing doing that good work. Uh, and so that's really difficult as well. And the hours you have to put in. So yeah, and the hours, I don't yeah, know. definitely. I look up to people that, that are able to get through it, but I don't envy them. Yep, I, I mean, yeah. My brother too, when he gets out, I think he'll have to work 70, 80 hours still. And that's the same as doing the work in law school. Um, it's it's got to be extremely stressful. There was something else I wanted to ask about, think something that came up when talking about law school, the, the difficulty of like you were talking about grades, just wanted to know, I mean, grades seem so important for so many people. And I mean, how important was it for you to get a grade and like what was your own self-perception of like your own intelligence uh, based upon a grade you would receive or did it not have any impact on you oh yeah I mean grades are always this is a really interesting question because I've not thought about it too much but grades have always been a really uh, important element I remember when <laughs> when I got my we have when we finish year 12 here in Australia we have what you call HSC and you get a grade from that 
which we called an, a UAI back when I was in school. And uh, I wasn't at home. I was working my like casual job at David Jones, which is like a big like department store. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was this Christmas casual. And a part of my job as Christmas casual was to be in this huge Christmas tree and to like talk to the kids like, hello kids, how are you today? And you'd be a tree and your voice would be all altered. So I'm in the back of this tree and I knew my grades were coming out that day, but I wasn't going to be home. So I said to my dad, I was like, dad, um, can you just like, text me my grade once you get it in? Can you log <laughs> into the site and text it to me? And he's like, sweetheart, I'm really sorry. You got 60. I was like, 60? I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, just joking. He's like, you're great. I'm out damn. Like, my heart stopped for a minute. So that to me is a, a clear display of, of how important it was that I was able to get a grade that would get me into the course that I wanted to study at university. And that was the comms degree. And the comms degree, the UAI, like the cutoff was 94. So it was like, Mm -hmm. I have to work hard because I wanted to do this like comms double degree. And so, I mean, I got into that first preference. That was great. And then all through kind of comms school, like my first degree, it was it was tricky. Like my grades weren't as good actually as they were in law school. And I didn't understand why because I was always a high performer in school. I had a couple of issues in, in year 11. I went through some like, you know, personal issues and mental health stuff by kind of year 11, but I was mm-hmm. always kind of driven to do that. And then getting into that and then getting grades at like C's, I was like, well, I think I can do better than a credit, but I didn't kind of, I wasn't vibing obviously with the material. It wasn't really on my level. And then getting into law school and doing better with that felt good. But I mean, I, I failed a subject in law school, which was like, to me, a really big deal. Um, to have failed the subject, I was like, what? Like, I, I'm always a high performer. How, how could I have failed? But I did. And I was so, um, I was so ashamed. I didn't want to tell anyone. Like, I didn't want to tell any of my friends. I kind of passed it off. And I only told a few of my friends. I was so ashamed of myself. Now I'm looking back on it, you know, um, I was like 20, like 22, 23, when I was doing it, like looking back on it now, I'm 29 years old now. I can say, oh, you know, everyone goes through that. Everyone fails yeah. at something. And I'm gonna, you got to pick yourself back up, brush yourself off and, and get back into it. And the amount of times I've failed since then in different things, uh, I've really learned that lesson. But so I think that the message really of this is it's okay to not get it right the first time. It's okay not to place all your emphasis on your grades and you can always achieve things even if your grades tell you that you know, you're, you're a passing student or you're a credit student, you can still go off and do amazing things. And sometimes you have to learn that the hard way. But I think that that's really the lesson. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And especially looking back on it, like I, I did the same thing in college, but the insignificance of it really in hindsight uh, so much greater than I mean in the present moment you really take it as such a personal and big hit that like you just failed a class or got a d and like it's striking your intelligence or something but then just like you said like going on to do more things uh really just proves to yourself that you're more capable than just a grade so I loved what you just said there and you also touched on uh you said you had some mental health issues during that time did you want to just open up more about that oh sure um I mean I think that from when I was around 14 years old, um, I started just having self-esteem issues. I had body image issues, issues with my self-esteem, and that manifested in a pretty bad way. By the time I got to about 16, mm-hmm. um, I, I fell in that trap of self-harm and, and I got medicated for it. And at the same time, I had a boyfriend. <laughs> I was way too young and he was a bad boy. My parents told me no, but I did it anyway. Now I will always listen to my parents when they don't approve of a boy. And, um, you know, he became stalker and 
all of that transpired into me having to get an AVO and that all kind of folded into this bit of a bit of a mess, I guess, in my life at that time. And it was hugely impacting my grades to a point where my dad said to me in year 11, he was like, look, if you're just not going to, you may as well drop out. If you're not going to do well, you may as well just leave. And I was like, no, I'm like, I know I can do this. And then, so for me, getting the grades that I got by the end of year 12 and getting into my first preference uni degree was such a huge achievement uh, and not something that I thought I could do from a year before that, you know, going to court, being, you know, on medication for it which I don't think was even the right medication. Essentially, I was on Ritalin. Um, and I was like, yeah. no, I'm not ADHD. But, you know, that's the first thing that they would put kids on back then. And so, yeah, and so I guess that started the journey. And throughout my life, it's, it's been a journey. And I think that's all it can be. And that's all it is. You know, it ebbs and flows. And I constantly need to remind myself of this, that life ebbs and flows, no matter what it is. There's good days, there's bad days. There's days that you want to get up and go to the gym in the morning. There's days that you can't get up and go to the gym there's days that you can be really productive and days that you can't and that's okay and I think that if you can learn that lesson the ebbs and flows of life it's, it's much much easier to get through those hard times and I think that's a lesson I, I learned and it, it was not easy to get uh, in that space and you know I still go through times like I had um I had a my a friend of mine someone that used to work for Think Inc he passed at the end of last year and oh, that compounded that. on top of yeah, it was, it was really tough. That compounded on top of a year of very, a very stressful year for, for me business-wise and, and et cetera, et cetera. That took me back into a dark place, you know, having someone mm-hmm. who, yeah, he, he, he took his own life and having someone that uh, had done that uh, was hugely impacted me. And, but then I think back on that now and I got through it, you know, I remember mm-hmm. the first day after, after a couple of weeks of kind of going back down that rabbit hole of depression. Now I look back, I remember the first day that I, I felt like dancing again. And I was like, okay, you can see the light. Like, I know once I feel that, like, you know, the rhythm back in me, I'm like, all right, I, I know that I've got through that difficult time. Um, and that repeats over and over again. And that's, that's life, you know? So I guess that was, that was the journey I went through then. And that's kind of what sparked me on, on um, my mental health journey. And it's just, for me, was about learning the lessons that I could, getting the help that I needed at the time that I needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and always kind of looking for those brighter moments, which will always come back in your life. You just got to hold on. So that, that's the lesson I learned. Yeah. And I mean, how does that play into like the pandemic that we're going through now? How has that yeah. been for you? Yeah. Uh, so at the start of the pandemic, I was like, I got this, right? We're going to pivot. I run like my company is a touring company. We run large scale public events with public intellectuals. That's what I do. That's my, that's my life. That's what I've dedicated my life to. So the pandemic hits. And they're like, I was on tour and the pandemic had hit and I was on tour with, with, um, uh, with Sean Carroll and, oh, nice. you know, it was, our, yeah, our first tour together, theoretical physicist, like brilliant, brilliant guy. <laughs> we, we, I remember the last show we ran in Sydney, everyone was sitting close to each other. This is like end of February, 2020. And then one week later, we had to pivot because I had two, two other tours on sale that I had to postpone, we had to pivot, we had to start doing this online thing. At the start, I was like, no, nah, I got this because I'm a bit of a perfectionist, perfectionist right? Which doesn't always mm. play well. Yeah, uh, me as well. You, <laughs> you're right, you, you're really hard on yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but what that does is in return means that you're, you can be successful because you push mm-hmm. yourself to those limits, right? And so I was like, no, nah, we got this, pivot, whatever. We're gonna start working from home. I called it before even our co-working space got shut down, gonna start working from home. We decided to run these online live events. We ran eight of them. They were fantastic, just not hugely financially viable. And mm-hmm. at that point after running eight, which was quite a few to run, 
I decided I need to hibernate the company for a few months mm -hmm. until, until we were in a better position. And what that meant was that although our government, I'm, I'm very thank, thankful that our government allowed us um, this opportunity to keep workers on board with this, with, with this JobKeeper thing that they're offering us, which was uh, um, every two weeks, they would pay us an amount of money as the business owner to keep our employees on. Mm -hmm. So although I'm grateful for that, it meant I could keep one of my employees on. One of my employees uh, actually is on a visa and was un was ineligible to get JobKeeper. And I think that really struck me because I was like, all I want to do is keep my staff on board. I want them to be able to live and, and survive through this pandemic. And me not being able to pay him not only impacts me, but impacts him. And, you know, it, where I ended up was walking around the streets for about three hours, bawling my eyes out, going, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it wasn't just that I couldn't pay him. It was that I felt lost and I, did, I didn't know what, what the next pivot was. But, you know, after that, I put myself together and I said, come on, Susie, pull your socks up. You've got this. You've been through harder times than this. Uh, and this is not your fault. Every other time that we've had any issues in the business, I would find a way to fix it. But unfortunately, a global pandemic is not something that I could fix. Um, yeah. But as that you know, perfectionist, I was like looking for the ways to fix it. And a few people had said to me, Suze, this is not your fault. Uh, we will get through it. We'll just have to work out a way. Um, and so I think that was the first breakdown I kind of had because of the pandemic, <laughs> you know, a few months in, but then, you know, we did what we needed to do. I hustled for it. We found projects, we found gigs, uh, we, we timelined it out. I worked out ways to pay my staff. I found another source of income that I brought on. Um, and I guess that's what it is to be an entrepreneur and to be a hustler, right? You, you have to find ways to fix the issue. And okay, it's all, all right for me to feel sorry for myself for three hours in the middle of the day, but then I got to get like get myself together um, mm -hmm. and get my shit in order and, and, and get back out there and keep hustling. So that's kind of how it affected me. And um, and then of course, the thing with my friends, my, my friend taking his life ended up compounding that once again. And that was another couple of weeks that was hard. But to be honest with you, I feel incredibly you know, blessed to be in the position that I'm in. I still have my apartment. I can still afford to put food on the table. And um, I still have my health, which I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so, so grateful for. You know, in Australia, we're really lucky. Our gyms are back open. I can still go to the gym. That's a way that I really deal with, with stress. And, you know, my family and friends are, are, are healthy and safe. So I'm in such a blessed position and reflecting on that, I think helps as well. You know, I, I'm at the moment, I'm working on a tour and I know I'm sorry about the tangents, but I have so much no, to no, tell you. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, at the moment, I'm working on my tour with Peter Singer, which was supposed to be run last year. And um, Peter Singer is one is one of the greatest minds that uh, is to be living. He's one of the most influential living philosophers, right? Mm -hmm. And I was talking to him and I was not having a whinge, but, you know, saying, oh, it's hard, Peter. It's hard. And Peter is, is a utilitarian and he believes in the greatest good for the greatest number. And he kind of looked at me and said, Suze, you know, people have it worse than you. I was like, you are so right. And thank you for that reminder. It's harsh to hear, but so many people have it worse off than, than we do. Haley, I'm like, so I think that brings me down to earth and that keeps my feet planted. Like I still have yeah. a good considering, right? Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask too, because I haven't seen the numbers, but how is Australia doing in terms of the pandemic? Yeah, we have no community transmission. We haven't for a while. We just had a couple cases from one of our quarantine hotels, but mm -hmm. I'm not worried. I'm really, really proud of us. Um, we yeah, so you guys are down to like just a couple of cases? Yeah, max. Like usually wow, it's no insane. community transmission. Otherwise it's like one, but we have really, really good tracking here. We have quarantine still. So when you come to Australia, you have to stay in a hotel for two weeks. 
we have we have really good contact tracing. So every time we go to a, a location or a venue, every time I go to the gym in the morning, I have to check in. And then, you know, if I end up having COVID, we have really great testing. I was speaking to my friend in the States and, and I was like, wait, you have to pay to get your COVID test? He's like, yeah. I'm like, what the? I was like, we just drive down the road and get a free COVID test. I did one like a few weeks ago. I had a little bit of a scratchy throat. I was like, the right thing to do is to get tested. Mm-hmm. Went down for free. 24 hours later, I got my results. Of course, like I was all clear, but so we're, we're in a really, really good spot here. But what I'm really waiting for is that Australian New Zealand bubble to open so that we can travel between yeah. Australia and New Zealand freely. I need that to open for my tour this August. Um, and I'm, I'm very sure that it will be. Uh, yeah, I'm sure by August it will be as well. Yeah. I mean, are you guys so, doing well with vaccinations also? Yeah, I think that the vaccinations have started. They're not pushing too hard on it just because we're not in a dire situation. And like, for example, I think there was like quarter mil vaccines that were stopped by Italy just the other week. I thought it was going to be kind of hoo-ha about it, but there wasn't. I guess that's because, like I said, we're not in a dire situation and places like Europe are in a much more difficult situation than we are. Where are, where are you, Liam? Uh, where are you, Ben? In New Jersey, in the States. Oh, cool. Yeah. So how, how is it for you guys? Are you doing okay? Yeah, we, um, I mean, cases obviously are still pretty bad we the united states gets like sixty thousand a day at least recorded you don't know about people that go unrecorded it's yeah. it's absolutely crazy even new jersey alone gets around four thousand every day but it's pretty good to nice. see the vaccinations um like new jersey alone has about 25 percent have the first dose okay. uh, yeah so it's not that bad um fantastic I, that's good to hear well yeah keeping my fingers f- crossed for you guys that we only see a reduction in those numbers yeah i hope so too i mean they said by may 1st i think that we should um anyone who wants to get vaccinated will be able to get vaccinated um so that should be oh, good. fantastic yeah but I, i'm curious yeah. too because i i played rugby in college are the rugby games back on or no um i think <laughs> I don't know much about sport. I'm so sorry. You ask me anything about <laughs> hip hop or anything about ideas, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll be good. But sport, I don't know too much about sport. But what I understand is that there's some sports games that are playing, but I think that they're socially distanced. So at the moment, our venues are sitting at, um, I can talk to you from a venue perspective. So we're at 75% venue capacity, which means that, you know, we absolutely should be having sports games on. Um, but I, I don't know too much about <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no, that's okay. Anything to do with hip hop or intellectual culture, I'll tell you the answer. But sports are not too short. (laughs) Well, hip hop artists, uh, do you listen to any people from the United States or mostly from Australia? No, I listen to like probably 98% uh, American. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we have a favorite? Like culture wise. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got tons of favorites. but I mean, I mean, the Grammys was, was it the Grammys that was just on yeah, um, the other like night? two days ago. Something. So I threw my VPN on and I watched some of the videos from that, um, which was very <laughs> yeah. cool. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I love hip hop, R&B. I love a little bit of dancehall, some jazz, you know, soul music. I'm, I'm really into all of that. And I, my answers to your, who's your favorite rap is, is going to be so obvious, but um, obviously the greatest rappers of our generation are Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole. Yeah. Um, and um Kendrick definitely looking, yeah yeah if we're looking back you know I just watched the Biggie documentary just came out on Netflix that was you know touching uh, I know I know quite a bit about that story already but it's always interesting to watch Biggie and, and Park and I think the greatest rapper of all time and this is a controversial perspective but I, I think it's Eminem um closely rivaled by Jay-Z so it's kind of where I sit on that oh um, that's cool 
don't at me. I mean, like everyone, everyone probably disagrees with my perspective, but that is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. While well, you're getting some influence from the U.S., I don't know if you noticed in the background, I have a Steve Irwin poster. Uh, <laughs> and also, actually, I was blocking oh, it, but a, a kangaroo uh, like sign. Damn. Yeah, I really love Steve Irwin. Before? No, never before, but I really wanted to go. Oh, I still, I still want to go, but obviously, it. yeah. And his son yeah. seems to do, be doing really well with uh, their whole foundation and everything in the zoo. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. He just has That's the same so positive as, attitude. It's awesome. Um, Definitely. Yeah. No, he's a, Steve Owen's a bit of a hero down here. And, you know, his death was a big hit for society. And we, um, we, we do love him. But you know that when you come to Australia, you're not going to see kangaroos hopping around the streets, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I figured so. <laughs> but they do outnumber people, don't they? It's like 90 well, million to 30 million or something. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, they're not the most friendly of animals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they are quite dangerous and you don't want to hit one with your car because it'll damage your car. They're yep. really, really tough. Um, I guess it's just like a jacked <laughs> but, I mean, deer or something that we have here. We yeah. just have a bunch of deer in New Jersey. <laughs> Kangaroo is definitely a jacked animal, but, yeah. but when you come down to a Shelly, I'll take you down to down to the zoo and we can go visit some wallabies and kangaroos down yep. there. Um, probably won't hit, hit hit the outback or nothing, but you know we can still kind of see yeah. them in zoos and um, they're they're adorable. They're so cute, but um, yeah. they can get real jacked. Yeah, I, I saw a couple of videos of them <laughs> fighting, or even the one guy who punched the one in the face was really funny. That was ridiculous. <laughs> oh, that's so silly. That's so silly. Yeah. Um, uh, no, it's, it's, it's great down here well you the next time you well, when you do get to come um you know you got a, a tour guide tour guide down here so i'll show you around yeah oh that's awesome thank you um i was i think the the wildfires were just this past year right i mean i know it feels like 10 years this one year um yeah but how were they uh in terms of like perspective on the news it said like it was like the worst fires in a while um yeah was it really that bad or yes it was incredibly difficult for a, a lot of Australians a lot of people lost their houses it was um it was just dreadful um a lot it was really difficult on wildlife as well a lot of animals lost it lost their homes and um it did put us in a situation where the koala became an endangered animal and there's been wow. a lot of yeah. resources put towards that to make sure that our uh, animal species are recovering properly and there's also a big schemes to ensure that people who did lose their houses or ended up in a compromised position because of the fires got compensated in, in the right ways for that it was an incredibly difficult time and it came at a time right before the pandemic hit you know like yep. that happened and then the pandemic hit and so it was like wow when are we going to catch a break it was it was such a difficult thing for us to deal with and the good the, the good thing that I guess the silver lining of an incredibly difficult situation was that it did make us reflect about the environment and environmental damage um, that is occurring and, and, and human made climate impacts. And mm -hmm. so that did put us in a good mind frame. Um, unfortunately, I feel like some of that was lost because of the pandemic and all of everything that got taken over because of that. And so now, you know, maybe there's not as much focus on uh, environmental issues as there should be, but at least it did bring that to the forefront for that for a little while there. And people were really quite anxious about it and wanting to make change and impact around that and including myself uh, right when that happened I announced a tour uh, that was focusing on cl on climate change and mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's a very important topic and I'm sure that once we're through the pandemic we'll get back on track talking about these issues 
Yeah. And aside from the pandemic, that alone, I think, makes people want to just socially interact. Like, I mean, that's so catastrophic to have such uh, raging wildfires. Are, are you guys, I wasn't really quite sure, but are you guys able to like interact with each other? Um, yeah. Like, is how are like mass mandates and everything? No, uh, we, we did have masks mandated. They are still uh, compulsory on public transport at the moment. But besides that, no, we're not, uh, we, we, it's not important for us. Well, it's not uh, compulsory for us to be wearing masks day to day. We were, we, they were compulsory in shopping centers, no longer the case. So um, that's eased off quite a lot. You still see some people wearing masks on the street and we're respectful of that. But no, there's no restrictions uh, around that so much anymore. There's no re real restrictions around people coming over to each other's houses. That's pretty open. The only real restrictions are for major gatherings. As I mentioned earlier, that 75% capacity on, yeah. on venues still exists. But to be honest with you, I think that um, since we don't have the community transmission, our government has been quite relaxed about it and, and allowing things to kind of fall back into place in the way that they, they want it to happen. And I think that's a great thing. Um, and like I said, the gyms are open, which were closed for a long time. Yeah, everywhere's kind of back up and open. I think that our nightlife has taken quite a bit of a hit. I don't think that you could yeah. go like clubbing. Um, but, you know, I went to a pub the other night uh, for a comedy show. So that still exists. Uh, so we are still getting out, seeing our friends. And that's really helpful for people's mental states. I'm, you know, I know I seem like I'm an extrovert, but I actually think I'm probably a little more of an introvert than what people know. And so, you know, a bit of alone time and that um, it wasn't too harmful for me. I actually quite enjoyed it. But um, I know for a lot of people working from home has been difficult. My team and I have decided that we want to go back to work, but in a flexible scenario. So we're actually mm -hmm. back in the office one day per week now, and that will probably increase to two days per week. But we've decided that we won't go back to five days a week in the office um, at this point in time because we're enjoying doing the work from home thing and we're more productive. So, yeah. Yeah, I could say the same thing for me. The first couple months of the pandemic definitely were fine for me because I'm definitely yes. an introvert as well. Um, yes. It actually wasn't until like 10 months after that I really started noticing. I was like, oh man, I really want this pandemic to be over. Yeah. It's also interesting to hear the radical difference in how the US is handling it versus Australia. Like you guys still have restrictions, uh, but with like no cases, whereas we're getting like 60,000 cases a day and we, we're at like 50% still, which is just like insane. Um, I know, but there's a different culture as well in the US and in Australia. I've spent a, quite a bit of time in the US and there's a different mindset in regards to the way that government should intervene in these types of issues. Yeah. In and Australia, we live in a... Too. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. In Australia, we, we live in a little bit of a nanny state, but most of us are kind of like, eh, it's kind yeah. of great, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell us what you need us to do and we'll do it. All right. Just like, you know, back in the day, back in 1991, the year I was born, there was, we had a prime minister, his name was John Howard. At the point in time, we were all able to, you know, you'd have to go through a process, but you were able to buy a gun in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, in 1991, we had a, a major... I guess, um, an incident down in Tasmania where a man shot and killed a, a, a group of people. Um, he was mentally ill, but he still went ahead and did that. And he, he killed all these people. Um, and at that point in time, our prime minister said, hey, you guys are not going to have guns anymore. That's messed up. So we're going to do a buyback scheme. And he, he ordered this buyback scheme. And pretty much all of us, Australia were like, all right, mate, like, that makes sense. Like, we don't really need these guns. We're pretty safe here. And the, the buyback scheme was hugely successful. And so that's just 
an example or a display of how Australia's um, perspective about the way that we live our lives and our, uh, our rights uh, and our liberties is very different than the way that you all in the US have, have see your rights and liberties. And I don't know where exactly what, where that comes from precisely. Maybe it's your, your Bill of Rights. Maybe it's uh, the way that your constitution is formed, but we just see our, our lifestyles as a little bit different. And so when they told us that we had to stay home, we were like, okay, we get yep. it. Let's do this. If we do this now, then we will get better in the future. We understood it. Maybe it was the way that they explained it to us, but there were a few people, uh, a few uh, people that, there still is now there's anti-vax groups that do go out and demonstrate with people that are like i don't want to wear the mask but there's such a minority that we just kind of turn a blind eye to that because most of us are doing the right thing yeah. uh, and that's how we've got through it so i think as this is a different mentality between the way australians see governance and the way that americans see governance and that has allowed us in my perspective not to this on you guys but that has allowed us <laughs> to get through the pandemic in a way that i think is sustainable um and it was uh, it was fast sustainable and um, it allows us to still feel safe and go out and do the things that we want to do now yeah definitely i mean it, it's definitely interesting here because even states can function differently than the country as a whole so like we have texas fully open now uh yes. when they're not even at like 20 percent vaccinated um it's very it's a very strange situation. And I think for the most part, people in, in the U.S. are just hoping just for this all to end because it has just been such a wild year. I mean, with our huge election, too, that was a wild yes. election. So, I mean, a lot of and things. And the riots going on. before the elections. Yep. Oh, my yeah. goodness. You guys have had a really, really tough year. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, I think about you guys a lot because obviously I do a lot of business into the US and I bring a lot of talent to Australia from the US and I've spent a lot of time in the US and I, I really enjoy spending time there. I, I really love it. I even considered living there for, for a while. You know, I, yeah, all I can do is keep you guys in my thoughts because I hope that you guys can in one way or another see past this polarization and come together and actually find resolutions for your problems because at the moment your country is so divided. It it's is so divided. divided and people are still, they still have their fingers in their ears and they're going, la, 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 la. I don't want to listen to the other side. I don't want to know that these people exist. And it's such a dangerous way of seeing the world. In my, view, in my view, there needs to be more conversations had. If you don't have conversations, what do you have? You have violence and that's not what we want to see. And so there's incredible difficulty in that. And how do you bridge the divide? I'm trying. I, I, I'm doing all I can do in my line of work and my day-to-day -day having conversations with people and, and trying my best. And you are too, Liam, like, you know, having conversations with people and raising, I guess, ideas into society, but it's a challenging thing. And I, I keep you guys in my thoughts and I, I hope and pray that it, it, you know, comes together in the right way. Yeah. Just thank you for doing what you're doing because ultimately, to be honest, I know my whole podcast is based around mental health, but I would love to have like, or to be able to do what you're doing, to be able to bring on people like, one of my biggest uh, heroes is like Brett Weinstein. I don't know if you know him. Oh, yeah. And Eric, his brother, Eric. Yeah, I mean, those, I always found those conversations to be so helpful, especially in a moment like this in the U.S. And yes. it's also interesting to get an outsider's perspective to see what, what like you think the U.S. looks like now. And he's, he seems to be so on the middle with things. And um, yes. there was a like pre, a Pew research graph that showed the separation from the two parties how like mm, radically different mm. it's gotten over the past like yes. even just 20 years it's a huge problem and I think even that's just that alone is contributing to a lot of people's like mental health crises because they're losing friends they're losing like 
family members over these ideas that should just be discussed. Um, mm -hmm. We shouldn't be separating ourselves from each other. Absolutely. So like Absolutely. your conversations that like you bring on and everything, they're yeah extremely vital for, I think, just society. So it's, it's awesome. That Thank you so doing. much for saying that. Thank you yeah, so much for course. saying that. I'm, um, I'm a very big fan of uh, the Weinsteins. Um, you know, Eric is, uh, um, I just think that he's an um, incredibly intelligent individual and he's already vowed that he will come to Australia with thinking when the time is right. Oh, so I'm very awesome. excited about that. Absolutely. So we definitely want to bring him down under and, and do a tour with him because I think that the value that he adds and the perspective that he brings is, is so nuanced, but it's so needed. It um, and, you know, his podcast is fantastic. I know he's working on some major projects. And so um, I'm, I'm really excited about the prospect of that. And um, I'm really lucky to have someone like that in, in my life. And, and I think that the world is lucky to, to have someone like that influencing their, their thoughts and their patterns as well. So absolutely. Yeah, in a way you can see it's much needed too, because uh, I don't know if you use Clubhouse. I don't use it much other than to like listen to like eric or brett if they're on yeah but uh eric already has two and a half million followers uh, which is like <laughs> bigger than any other platform that he's uh like established himself on uh, and it just shows like people really want these conversations and they want they want them to happen yeah um, the follow i mean the followership looks great but to be honest like it's so well deserved and i'm so glad oh, that yeah yeah it's, it's 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 so important that people listen to voices like that in our space I listen to, to Eric. I listen to, to Brett's work. Uh, I listen to a very, uh, a, a, quite a broad range of intellectuals in my kind of personal time. Um, my personal and my work is like, you know, intertwined. intertwined but yeah. um, I like to listen to a range of perspectives because although I have particular political leanings and ideologies that I kind of always go back to and revert back to, if I don't listen to people that disagree with me, I think it's really difficult to maintain perspective and so you know although uh i don't always agree with the perspectives of someone like a ben shapiro i find myself listening to his podcast quite often just mm -hmm. because i feel like he is an intelligent individual who has a different perspective than me that i can respect and understand to an extent at least at least i can accept it even if i don't always understand it or agree with it and so I find myself kind of constantly kind of going back and forth, listening to podcasts of people on the left, in the center, on the right, just so I can maintain nuance in, in the way that I see the world. I think that's quite an important thing for people to do. And I would really encourage people to try and do that as much as possible, because I think that's another way that we can bridge this divide. Yeah, a very important. I think just one of the, just like you said, one of the most important things is whether you agree with like someone like Ben Shapiro or not, just the, the basic level of understanding where he or anyone else is coming from yeah. is something that I think a lot of Americans especially are missing right now uh, just to understand mm. any anything from the other side so yeah uh, one thing also I wanted to ask about your company is like everyone seems to come to Australia right or do you have uh, you said there were other events in the U.S. or do they mostly come to Australia I only run events in Australia and New Zealand at this point in time now what the future of my company is uh, is, is, is a different question. I would love to see expansion into the US. Uh, I've talked about it a few times, but at this stage, we've only ever run Australia and New Zealand events. And I think the next step for us is to expand out into kind of that Singapore, Hong Kong region, because that makes the most sense for us while people come to Australia. But a lot of the people that I bring to Australia are from the US or the UK, most people that, that I bring. So 
what we focus on is bringing international guests to Australia to speak. And I guess the reason that that we do it that way is because we have we we are so greatly influenced by the U.S. and we have we're fed a lot of U.S. media. And so a lot of these people that we talk about, the reason you and I can talk about it is because we're not just Australia centric down here. You know, we're we're kind yeah. of Americanified or however you would say that Americanified. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so um, you know, uh, we have access to a lot of that, and that's why it works, I guess, because because a lot of Australians know of these great Americans, uh, American intellectuals that I'm able to bring down. Yeah, well, that's really great to hear because I think their conversations and everything, at least from the people that I listen to, are, like I said, they're they're also important for yes. almost everyone to hear. And that's exactly what you're doing. And that's why I love exactly what you're doing. It's doing Thank just you. that. I know we're running out of time here too. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? Uh, for like closing statements or oh look not not in particular um I mean I am I'm just so glad that you reached out Liam and I really enjoyed our conversation and in your email to me you said you know I'm not a a very good interviewer and I think that you're absolutely wrong now hearing you talking (laughs) to me I get so nervous no I think you're brilliant at what you do and I thank you for for spreading good messages out there and um I think that um, it's absolutely worthwhile what you're doing. So keep at it. And if there's yeah, any way you. I can support you, um, keep me in mind as well. But I really yeah. appreciate you you having a chat with me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you for getting back to me. And I hope to visit Australia one day, honestly, uh, after the pandemic and everything. So that that's right. Well, you're, very, you're very, very welcome. You're Maybe very I could well, attend one of the events, here. I would hope. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Front row. Don't yes, worry. Yes. Front a, row. You got a free ticket. You got a free ticket. It's on me. It's on <laughs> yeah, me. Perfect. That's thank great. You. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time out, and um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs>